love that little short video to introduce what we're going to be talking about starting this morning and the next several weeks. God's relentless love. God pursues you. God loves you so much, He doesn't give up on you. And He doesn't give up on those who even turn their backs on Him. God loves you that much. Uh, The question is, does that mean that it doesn't matter how we behave? If God loves us so much that He pursues us, that, that He cares about us, does that mean that it doesn't matter what we do or how we behave? We can behave however we like. Because we know God always loves us. Don't those two things go together? A lot of people in our culture believe that they do. In the middle of July, uh, Christian music star Amy Grant was interviewed on Apple Music's Proud Radio podcast. Uh, Now, the, the reason she was interviewed was they were talking about the history of country music, and she's been heavily involved in country music. Uh, And it was also related to the 30th anniversary of her major album, Heart in Motion. Uh, Those of you that were listening to Christian music in the 80s and the 90s will remember Heart in Motion. It was a turning point for a lot of Christian artists. Uh, And the reason that so many Christian artists now have songs that cross over into secular music and secular radio. Uh, Mercy Me, Need to Breathe, Lauren Daigle, all these folks that now have songs that cross over into secular music owe that transition to Amy Grant and Heart in Motion. Uh, and a song, by the way, called Baby Baby. So uh, she was being interviewed for that. Well, in the interview, uh, because the interview, uh, the podcast primarily targets the gay and lesbian community, she was asked about how Christians respond to gays and lesbians, the LBGTQ community, and, and why Christians have such a hard time, and to give her impression of this. And in that interview, this is what she said. Uh, She reflected on God's love for gays and lesbians, and she said, Who loves us more than the one who made us? None of us are a surprise to God. Nothing about who we are or what we've done. That's why, to me, it's so important to set a welcome table. Because I was invited to a table where someone said, Don't don't be afraid, you're loved. Whether gay or straight, she said, it doesn't matter. Meaning, set a welcome table, Christians should be loving them like God, gay or straight, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> now, so far, so good. God loves everyone. Not based on our performance, not based on the fact that we're sinners or not sinners, because we're all sinners. God loves us because, as she said, He made us. He loves us because He created us. And He wants to have a relationship with everyone through Jesus Christ. So far, so good. But then, after she said, gay, straight, it does not matter, meaning God loves you, she said, It doesn't matter how we behave. It doesn't matter how we're wired. We're all our best selves when we believe to our core, I am loved. That's when we flourish. When we're loved, we're brave enough to say yes to every good impulse that comes to us. And just like that, she's wrong. It does matter how we behave. And there's no contradiction with saying God loves us because he made us and it matters how we behave. As a matter of fact, the core of the gospel, the core of the message of the Bible is those two things. God loves us because he made us. He wants to have a relationship with us, but it matters how we behave. Why? Because how you behave is a reflection of who you are. And in order to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, God changes who you are 
So then your behavior will become pleasing to him when you obey him and you live in his will. Those two things are not in contradiction at all. And it's the, as we saw several weeks ago in our previous message series, it's the assumption of culture that unconditional love also means unconditional approval of how you behave. It doesn't. It doesn't need to, and it shouldn't. Otherwise, Christ did not need to die for, the, on, for your sins on the cross if, if God says it doesn't matter how you behave or, or who you are. The message series we're going into this morning has that principle at its core. God loves you, loves all people, is relentless in that love because he created us. He is our creator. That also means it matters to him how we behave. It matters to him what our lives are like. And he wants us to be in a right relationship with him. If you had your Bible with you this morning or your digital device here or online, find with me the Old Testament book of Jonah. One of the most famous stories in all of the Bible and yet one of the least understood, I think, in all of the Bible is the story of Jonah. If you have your hard copy Bible with you, it'll be in that part of your Old Testament that has almost no thumbprints because you're not there very often. They're called the minor prophets, not because they're insignificant, but because the books are short. And Jonah is tucked between a little book called Obadiah and another book called Micah. So find your place there. Keep flipping till you find it. If you're still having trouble, you have a table of contents in your Bible. That's what it's there for. While you're finding the book of Jonah and marking your place there, because we'll be in there for a few weeks, I want to give you some insight into what's happening. There are three primary players in the book of Jonah. God, Jonah, and a group called the Ninevites, as Miss Jane has talked about last week and this week. That, that is, the people who live in the city of Nineveh. Now, Jonah is not an allegory. It's a true story with a captivating fact within it. A historical fact that a, 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 a fully grown man, a human being, is swallowed by a great fish. We'll come to that later in the series, but that's what Jonah is best known for. Jonah and the fish. Jonah gets swallowed by the big fish. It's the reason he gets swallowed that matters to us, and we'll see that later in the series. The first player, of course, is God. He's the first one to speak in the story. What's unusual about the book of Jonah is among the prophets is that it's not a series of sermons. The only sermon in the book of Jonah is, is one sentence from Jonah. In the original Hebrew, it's only four words. Instead, the book of Jonah catalogs this event in his life that God has preserved for us so that we will learn from it and through the ages come to understand the power of God's relentless love. In the book of Jonah, God is our creator loving all human beings and pursuing us even pursuing disobedient servants to get them back on track. And everything that happens in the book of Jonah is wrapped up in this. He is our creator. He is the one and only God who governs the seas, who calls out his servants, uh, who even commands the fish what to do. He is our one and only God. And he is our creator. That's God in the book of Jonah. Then you have this man, Jonah. Uh, Jonah, a prophet of God, was serving God in a period of time in history called the uh, Divided Kingdoms. It's when uh, the, the, the Jews in the south and the Jews in the north had a falling out, or in the 900s, 900, 922 B.C. to be specific, they had a falling out. 
Uh, and in that time, there were uh, two of the tribes went north and settled in what became known as Israel, later on Samaria, and the rest were in the south in Judah and Judea. Jonah preaches in the north. He's a northern prophet. And his time frame is around 750 B.C., about 750 years before Christ would walk the earth. And we learn in the Bible that Jonah is already a well-known prophet. He's a competent, trustworthy prophet. He's mentioned one other place in the Bible, and it's in a positive way. 2 Kings chapter 14. <coughs> we learn that Jonah was faithful to God, and he's commended in Scripture for coming to the king and bringing God's word, which brought a transition uh, back toward God for the people of God at that time. It's the only other time that he's mentioned. But he gives the impression that he's trustworthy, that God knows him, God uses him, he preaches for God uh, up to this occasion that we meet him in the book that bears his name. Then we also need a little background on the Ninevites. The people of the city of Nineveh have a prominent place in the book of Jonah. You learned already this morning that Nineveh is in what is today Iraq. That is formerly Assyria. In Jonah's time, the Assyrians had governed all of the ancient Near East for nearly three centuries. They were a ruthless, vicious, fearful people. Uh, because there are little ears in the room, I'm not even going to tell you what they did to the people that they conquered and what they did to the kings of the people that they conquered. It, it, suffice it to say, people hated the Assyrians. And they feared the Assyrians. And the Assyrians governed pretty much all of the north of what is now the Middle East, with the Egypt governing the south. So they were just above Samaria. Not far, about 500 miles above the northern kingdom of Israel. Jonah had a lot of experience preaching to people that he liked. It's a very important part of the story. Even when the kings, when he had to preach to the kings of Israel a message they would not want to hear, those were still his people. He had a vested interest in God working in them. And he wanted them to, to come to, to, to repentance. He wanted God to work in, in his nation. But then, as we'll see in this book, he is faced with a choice that many of us are faced with. What if God calls on you to do what you don't want to do? What if God invites you to participate with him in something brand new, but something so uncomfortable, inconvenient, maybe even something you're opposed to, but you know it's what God wants you to do. How will you respond? We're going to read the first three verses of the book of Jonah this morning, so look there with me. Uh, if you're still searching for the little book of Jonah, just look for it later. It'll, the, the, the passage will be on the screen for you. Jonah chapter 1, starting at verse 1. This is what the Bible says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now let me pause right there, by the way, and mention, the book of Jonah has no introduction. There's no hello, how's your mother, nothing like that. We dive right into the story, noting that God is the primary player in this drama, in this story. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Verse 2, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up. Now, every reader of this story would expect that next phrase. Jonah's a prophet of God. Jonah got up. We, we, would, 
we would not expect what Jonah did when he got up. Jonah got up to flee. To flee from Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Well, turns out Jonah was a flight risk. And he's on the run because God called him to do something, invited him to do something, impressed on him to do something that was clearly God's will and clearly something Jonah did not want to do. To get out of his own people, out of his own comfort zone, out of the place where he was used to preaching and had a vested interest in people responding and go to a place to preach God's word to people he did not like. He hated. He despised. Everybody did. Everybody did. The core of this story is that God does indeed invite us to participate in what he wants to do. Always remember, God's not especially interested in us doing what we want to do or learning what we can do without him. God wants us to learn what we do with him. God wants us to learn more about him, who he is, and and what happens when we submit to the power of God. And when we listen to God and follow his will, when we obey what God wants us to do. God invites us believers to participate with him in what he's doing. And he does it all the time, all around us. And we're always making that choice. So whether we're going to obey or disobey, but God invites us to participate with him in what he wants to do. This morning, I want us to go back to this passage for a moment. I want you to see with me Two things that always happen. Whenever God calls you, which is the same thing as inviting you, but it imposes on you a decision. Whenever God calls you to participate with Him in what He wants to do, there are two things that always happen. Always. The first one is that God's call reveals His character. God wants you and I to learn something about Him But also, whatever God wants us to do reveals his heart, his character, what he is like. When he calls upon Jonah to go to the Ninevites to preach to the great city of Nineveh, meaning it's a large city, not that it's significant, but that it's large, to go there, to preach there, to the people there, because their evil is before me. It tells Jonah, it reminds Jonah that God's heart is for all people. God is their creator too. That's something you and I often forget. God created all people. When God responds to people as their creator, he responds in his love for all people. And as the Bible says, God wants all people. He doesn't want people to perish. He wants all people to come to him and in repentance and trust Christ as their savior. All people. It really doesn't matter whether you and I like them. So we learn something about God's character. I want to break it down this way. Here's what we learn about God's character, what Jonah learns right away about God's character. First, God loves all people. God loves all people. Not just the ones you and I like. Not just the ones you and I spend our time with. God loves all people. God loves all people. And second, God notices all sin. All sin. And the sin of nations, as well as people. God notices all sin. All sin is an affront to God. And God wants all people, because he loves all people, 
to repent of their sin. God loves all people, but behavior does matter. And God notices all sin. So what would you do if God called you to go to people out of your comfort zone, go across the street, go to your neighbor next door, chat with someone online, pick up the phone, give them a call, people you're not comfortable with, maybe people you don't even like. But knowing that God loves them, knowing that God loves them, how would you respond? Knowing that God notices their sin just like he notices yours, would you want them to come to faith in Christ? If you want to ask about God's character and God's priorities, always and forever, the number one priority of Almighty God, while the church is on planet Earth, while there is still time, is that people come to Christ. That people can be forgiven of their sins and give their lives to Christ. That's why the church is here. As I like to remind all of us, of all the things you think about doing in heaven, singing, praising God, knowing the, the one word of God, Jesus Christ, personally, of all the things you, you think about doing in heaven, there's one thing you will never do in heaven, and that's evangelize the lost. Right? Evangelism, reaching lost and broken people, is designed for planet Earth and given to the people of God to carry out on planet Earth. That's God's heart. You don't have to ask. You don't have to ask, does God want me to share the gospel? Easy answer, absolutely. It's spelled out in the Bible, spelled out in His truth, in His word. Yes, God does want you to participate with Him in bringing lost people to Christ. And get this, He doesn't ask us. Now, if you like them, if you like them, no, because you already know God loves them. And if He puts them in your path, that's what God wants you to do. So first, first every time... God calls us, it reveals something about his character. In this case, that he loves all people and he notices all sin. Secondly, every time God calls us to get on board with him, God's call requires a choice. It requires us to make a decision, a choice. And the decision is really very simple. It's not complicated at all. We have to choose either to obey or to disobey. Just that simple. To obey or to disobey. Will we do what God wants us to do or not? Jonah knew his choice, knew it clearly, decided to disobey. And the text is written in such a way as to bring out the drama and the flavor by repetition. God said, get up. Meaning, pay attention. This is your next assignment. Get up and go. Preach to Nineveh because their evil is before me. The next thing we see, Jonah got up, but explicitly disobeyed God. Instead, he purchased passage on a ship to Tarshish. And we're told that three times. Three times we're told to go to Tarshish, on a ship to Tarshish, he purchased passage to a place called Tarshish. Try to say that three times fast out loud. And we're told the reason, to get away from the presence of God. That's why he's doing it, to get away from the presence of God. To put this in perspective, the Israelites, the Jewish people, were not seafaring people. They were people of the land. What God has asked Jonah to do is just to travel 500 miles by land to Assyria, to the city of Nineveh, to stand on the street corner and do what he's always done in the northern kingdom of Israel, 
to preach and to preach God's Word. Instead, he runs down to a port and books passage with the Phoenicians, who were the sailors of the day, on a seafaring trip to sail 2,000 miles to a place called Tarshish. Why would he do that? What was his motivation? It was because he knew God so well. It wasn't because he didn't know what God would do, and it wasn't because he was afraid of the Assyrians. It was because he did know what God would do. Later on in the story, in Jonah chapter 4, and uh, we'll come back to this later in the series, Jonah chapter 4, after the Ninevites, after he preaches in Nineveh, and the Assyrians, the Ninevites, repent. I know I'm giving you a, a clue into what happens next. This is what Jonah says. He gets with God. And the Bible says Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster, meaning when people repent. Jonah knew God's character so well, he knew God was consistent, he knew God always responds and behaves the same way, he just tried to take himself out of the picture. Now, it's fundamental to the story that Jonah ran from God. What's not so obvious is the actual reason that he ran. Yes, his motivation was the character of God. He knew what God would do. If once he preached, the people repented and responded. But the whole idea of... Uh, we, we thought in our minds for generations the whole idea of running from God means that he was getting away from God's presence. I mean, the Bible says that, right? Meaning from God's person, meaning getting away from God. But you just learned in the children's ministry moment, God is everywhere all the time. And that's absolutely right. And Jonah knew that. He'd grown up on the Psalms, where King David writes, where can I get away from your presence? There's nowhere to go that God is not. He's in the heavens. He's on the earth. He's on the seas. He's in the valleys. They knew, the ancient Israelites knew, Jonah, who knew God's word, knew God was everywhere all the time. So why run away? The phrase, from God's presence, is more literally from the front of God or the face of God. It can also be interpreted to mean from the gaze of God. See, Jonah wanted to get away, wanted to get far enough away he didn't just refuse to go and stay in Israel, in the northern kingdom, in Samaria, did he? He ran the other way. 2,000 miles he was trying to get. He wasn't trying to flee the, the very personal presence of God. He was trying to make himself unavailable to God. So God would stop looking at him for this assignment. So God would find someone else for this assignment. He just didn't want to do it. He wasn't running from God as if he could get away from God. He was running from the assignment. The farther I get away, the more likely God will pick somebody else. Because that's God's nature. Jonah knew. You ever considered that you and I have a Tarshish? We do. When God calls on you to do what God wants you to do, you flee into your Tarshish. You tell God, I'm unavailable. I'm too busy. 
Pick somebody else. Let somebody else do it, God. I don't have time. But God is relentless in his pursuit, not only of the lost, but of the disobedient servant. That's why you cannot get away from it. When you disobey God, when you choose to disobey God, you can't get away from it. God reminds you, you know, I've called you to do something, and I want you to do it. I want you to be a part, God says, of this great work and what I've asked you to do. Think about how often you've said to God, I'm just too busy, God. Just too busy for what you want me to do. What you're really saying to God is, God, I know your character. And I know you want to involve me in loving people the way you do, in reaching people the way you do, in seeing people come to Christ. But God, I'm just too busy doing religious things and other things and, that I want to do. God, I'd rather see me work than be a part of what you're doing. That's what you're saying to God. And you flee again to Tarshish. I'm not available. Pick somebody else. Pick somebody else. The choice is always the same. Obey or disobey. And you might think, well, Bob, how, how do we know if God calls me? Well, he already has. Because his word says, go and make disciples. His word says he wants everyone to come to Christ. His word says that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the stewardship of the church. His word says that Every believer is to be a witness in the world. So this one thing you know for sure, that God is, is calling you and I to everyone. makes no difference whether we like them, we spend our time with them on occasion, we're comfortable with them. When God puts them in our path, you're called. And you have a choice at that moment to obey or to disobey. Now right now, right now maybe God's got a call in your life or God is is once again echoing that call he's had on your life, what he wants you to do, the people he wants you to talk to, the service he has in mind for you. I want you to remember three things before you disobey. Three things to always remember before you disobey. First, I want you to remember that God's call is personal. Uh, God does call all believers in Christ to the Great Commission to be witnesses for him, but God also calls you personally to participate with him in what he's designed for you to do. The Apostle Paul said, uh, God has good things in mind already for you to do, steps for you to walk in when you came to Christ. Those relationships you have, that neighborhood you live in, those are the things God wants you to do and the people that God has put in your path. So remember, God's call is always personal. He has you in mind. Secondly, God's call is always timely. God's timing is everything. And he wants to use you at the perfect time to do his will so you get to see God do a great work through you. You get to be astonished at the great work of God. And then third, God's call is always intentional. One of the saddest things we've done in American Christianity is boil down our relationship with God to being just about us. Just about us. We, we've, we think that Christianity is really about me. It's what I want. God answer my prayers. God do this for me. 
And it's true, God has a personal relationship with you. That's why I remember God's call was always personal. God knows you, loves you. Jesus said he counts every hair on your head. But God is also intentional in the bigger scheme of things. It's bigger than us. And when God calls you to obey, he's calling you to participate in greater works, eternal works that you may not even see come to fruition right then, maybe not in your lifetime. But he's, he is involving you in the bigger, greater work of God. He knows what he wants you to do. And he wants you to participate with him. Our choice is very simple. Obey or disobey. Obey or disobey. And as soon as God puts it on your heart, as soon as he calls out to you, join me in what I want to do. Let's see this person come to Christ. Let's see this great work take place. As soon as that happens, God is calling you to participate with him in what he wants to do. And you have the choice of to obey or to disobey. To flee into your Tarshish, God, I'm not available. Just too busy. Or to say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Take away whatever's in the way. Take away whatever would, would hinder me from serving you. And watch what God does. In 2004, 66-year-old Nita Friedman was driving along in her little town in Ohio and suddenly a police officer came up behind her Lights flashing, siren going. Uh, the officer had seen Nita driving through town and thought she was driving recklessly, so he was going to pull her over. Well, as soon as the lights came on and the siren came on, Nita just kept driving. And kept driving and kept driving, and the officer kept pursuing her, and she kept driving, and pretty soon there were more cars in pursuit, more officers coming out of around corners and intersections, and they're chasing 66-year-old Nita through this little town in Idaho. She fled for 15 miles. They finally had to use a spike strip to stop the car, blew out three tires, and she kept driving still until she couldn't drive anymore. Now, what's interesting about that story is that in her flight, Nita never went over the speed limit. Never went over the speed limit. In fact, at one intersection, she courteously and legally stopped for another driver to make a left-hand turn. Then she kept going. Nita's a good example of obeying the law while disobeying as well. And religious people do it all the time. We obey in the law that makes us look good, in the part of religion that we like. But ask God to... God asks us to do something we're not comfortable with, we disobey. We keep saying, well, God, I'm, I'm not available. I'm doing religious things. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And yet we find God is still in pursuit. God doesn't let go. God still calls us out, even in our disobedience. He's after us. To punish us, because He loves us. And He wants us to get to be part of what He's doing in other people's lives. So believers, let me ask you this. In the course of talking about this this morning, as God identified your Tarshish, you know it, especially if you've been saying to God, God, I'm just too busy. Oh, I'm not available. Has God been reminding you of who he wants you to talk to, where he wants you to go, 
Who He wants you to pray for? Who needs your help, needs your food, needs your loving? Needs the gospel. And your first thought is, God, I'm not really comfortable with them. You know how God responds? Well, I made them too. I created them as well. And I'm calling you. The choice is simple. Obey or disobey. Obey or disobey. So believer in Christ, where are you in your obedience to God, especially in following His heart, following His call, watching His character grow in you, and seeing what God can do through you in the world? Is God telling you now you've been disobedient? What do you do about that? You confess it. Confession is agreeing with God about what He already knows, saying, God, I know I've been disobedient. Help me take those first steps of faith back into obedience to do what God wants me to do. And God will help you do that. Now, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, here or at home, that's that first step of obedience. God loves you so much, He will not give up on you. And you say, well, all the bad things I've done, how could God love me? God loves you because He made you. He wants you back. That's why Christ died on the cross and died for you on the cross so when you knew he died for you, you would trust him as your Savior. In just a few minutes, I'm going to give us all an opportunity to respond. Those in-house, uh, I'm going to be here at the front and ask you to come and, and uh, trust Christ as your Savior for the first time or come to the altar and, and confess to God you've been disobedient or let me know if you want to join First Baptist Church, whatever decision on your heart. And during that same time, for those online, you'll see a Connect card and a Next Steps card there that you can let us know of your decision. And we'll get in touch with you about that decision to help you follow through with that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come to this time of response, God, of renewal, of confession, of excitement, God, because we know that you love us so much, you, you've never given up on us. God, I ask for all of us, you would forgive us, Father, for fleeing, to trying to make ourselves unavailable, to get away from the assignment we do not like. God, Forgive us for that. And Father, how I pray this morning you would speak to our hearts. Open us up again, God, to obedience. Show us if we have disobeyed. If we said no, show us that, God. We'll confess it. Repent of that. Cleanse us, God, and forgive us. And I pray, Father, our prayer would be whatever you want us to do, Father. Take away in our lives whatever is, is a distraction, whatever makes us say we're too busy, whatever it is, God, that we would be available to you and work through us, God, to carry out your perfect will. God, I pray for believers in Christ, for recommitments, fresh commitments. I pray for those who have never trusted Christ as their Savior. That before the hours of today, God, they would surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, acknowledging that you sent Christ to die on the cross for them because you love them so much. You sent your Son into the world that all who would believe in Christ would not perish, but would have eternal life. Father, I pray they would trust Christ for the very first time today. And God, as we come to this time of response, Father, help us to respond as you're calling us to, whether it's at the altar, whether it's bowing the knee at our sofa at home, whether it's turning in that connect card, along with following up with what you want us to do. Whatever you're calling us to do, God, let us follow through with that. Take those steps of faith. For those who need to join fellowship with First Baptist Church, God, help us to step out on that, to send that card in, to bring it forward and say, yes, this is our time to join fellowship. God, how I pray in this time, Father, we would say yes to you 
Whatever you have on our hearts, we'll obey. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.